listening to www.infinitesmile.org. Enjoy these Zen-inspired talks given by Michael McAllister. Thank you for listening. The Infinite Smile Sangha is made possible by the generosity of friends, members, and people who have been touched by this teaching. Please visit our donations page at infinitesmile.org to help us continue our efforts in spreading the Dharma. So I wanted to talk a little bit about being. Very simple elemental aspect of this practice is just being. Not being anything or being anyone, but just being kind of deeply ensconced in this primordial awareness of being. And I can kind of talk you into it. I'll do my best to do that. Some of you are kind of familiar with, uh, you know, how we go about pointing out various aspects of this work does not require that you go into any type of trance state or that you are in any state other than the state you are in right now. But uh, I talk, for instance, about being uh, the seer or the witness. Okay? And so I want to just kind of point out that witness to you as best I can right now before we enter into our sitting. And then when we get into our sitting, hopefully you'll be able to rest there as that seer, as that witness, as you uh, enjoy stillness. Maybe you can't stand stillness. Either way, you'll be witnessing that whole experience. So we first start off by just recognizing what is external, how this environment is appearing to us right now. How is it that the sun is coming in from behind uh, behind me here, these windows, these beautiful windows. The light that's bouncing off of the uh, Ohm signature here on the wall. We can be aware of our environment. We can be aware that, uh, for my taste, the temperature almost all day was perfect. Just perfect. Of course, that's a judgment. You watch that. Don't get taken away by it. But still, just this same thing here. We've got kind of this calm that you might feel in the room. You can be aware of that. You can be aware of that calm. You can be aware of the sound of my voice. You can be aware of the fact that I, if anybody tied my hands together, I would not be able to speak. You can be aware of the fact that this light is dancing so beautifully. We just are aware of these things. These things arise in our awareness. It's effortless, too, to pay attention to them. It requires no work to be aware. It requires absolutely no work. It just is. It just takes place. Okay? That's all things external. Every one of these things can arise just like a bubble. I was playing uh, bubbles this afternoon with my uh, daughter. And boy, just the magic of a bubble to her was so precious. And I just blow the bubbles at her and she was like, 
you know, that type of thing. So cute, so innocent, just so pure, just this awareness of this bubble. This is exactly the way all these objects of our awareness show up. The light, the sound of my voice, the temperature, all of that stuff just arises in our awareness. We are aware of it, yet we are not it. We are aware of all these things in our awareness that arise, yet we are none of those things. The same thing applies to thoughts. Thoughts arise like bubbles. They show up. We can be aware of them. It requires no, no work to be aware of these thoughts. Attention actually requires a little bit of work. This is not attention. This is just open awareness. We watch our thoughts. And miraculously, we kind of uncover that we can watch these thoughts. And if these thoughts can arise like bubbles, like objects in our awareness, that which is observing those thoughts, those bubbles, is not bound by them. Our environment arises within our awareness. Our thoughts arise within our awareness. It's as if awareness is this big sky and our thoughts float by like clouds, but that that background is always there. That background of awareness is always there. We can always be aware of our thoughts. We can always be aware of our external environment. The same applies to our feelings. Feelings, and in this context I'm referring to emotional feelings, are where our thoughts meet our body. It's as if a thought just, boom, drops and resonates within our body. We can be aware of these feelings. We can be aware of also physical sensations in much the same way. Every one of you in this room right now is having a physical experience. Or if you're not, maybe we need to talk a little later. <laughs> Might be kind of interesting. We are having physical experiences. This physical experience arises within this awareness. We can be aware of this physical experience, yet this physical experience is not the sum total of who we are. This physical experience is just an object that arises within something much bigger. This awareness, this being, this I am-ness. Every one of you right now can witness this experience. Is your mind racing? Watch that. Are you wandering in your presence? Watch that. That which is aware of the wandering is absolutely still.
In this way, we take away what we call the subject-object dualism, where we just are. We're just sitting. We're just observing what is. Whatever state you're in is perfect. You do not need to be relaxed to observe your state. You do not need to be in some kind of trance. You do not need to be drumming in the forest, although that's not necessarily a bad thing. You do not need anything other than what you have in any given moment to be aware. Awareness flows freely. It flows freely. Be aware right now of your shoulders. Now be aware of your knees. Be aware right now of the sound of my voice. Be aware of the quiet drone of the freeway. The awareness flowed freely. It required no work. It's always there. It's always precisely still. It is always precisely the backdrop onto which all things are projected, physical or mental. Rest there. That's the seer. That's the witness. That's your freedom. Some of you are familiar with how I've described uh, consciousness in a series of senses. For instance, we have the five senses of form. We have sight, smell, taste, touch, and then sound, right? Those all occur within this reality we have. This, the, 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 basic, the basic reality, the normal reality, the conventional reality, whatever you want to call it. We use those senses to make sense of our experience. We get information through our sense experience. And then we go into our sixth sense, which is mind. Mind will categorize things, it will compartmentalize things, it will work with things, it will push them and pull them into a space, it might manipulate them, but we can look at that as our sixth sense, as indeed Eastern tradition does. You have the five senses of the body, then you have the sixth sense of the mind, okay? And then we veer off tradition just a little bit, and we go into our seventh sense, and our seventh sense is our awareness of time, our experience of time. All the other senses are more or less, they, they fall under this umbrella or this, uh, sometimes I look at it as concentric circles. You have all the, the, the five bodily senses and then you have the sixth sense, which is the sense of, of mind. And then you have this seventh sense, which is our relationship to time. And before you shut off and think, okay, this is a bizarre, uh, strange proof that he's going through and I'm bored, stick with me because I think you might find it kind of interesting. Our, our work with time, our sense of time, mind 
cannot exist, thoughts cannot exist without the underpinnings, a foundational relationship to either past or future. All thoughts are oriented in either the past or the future. It's either happened before or it hasn't happened yet. Every single thought you have falls into that space space with one kind of bizarre exception, and that is judgment. Judgment is an evaluation. A judgment takes a thought and then evaluates it as being positive or negative. Most of us live in that space. And as we live in that space of judgment and uh, uh, you know past, past indiscretions or trespasses that have been done against us or future potential for you know, either uh, uh, ill-doing on our part or something is going to happen, you know, we live in that space. And the judgment kind of brings them both into kind of an interesting, it's like if you look at a Venn diagram, you have past and then you have future, okay? And in that space there, you have judgment, which can really go into both, both areas. That all falls into what we would call that ring, that seventh sense, our relationship to time. The mind, or what we could just as easily call the ego, stops there. It cannot go any further than that seventh sense. Indeed, the ego's food, its food, the way it sustains itself, is through judgment, a relationship with the past and a relationship with the future. And you can measure this in yourselves. How often do you spend thinking about the past? How often do you think about what hasn't happened yet. If you dwell in the past, our orientation is almost universally pain. If we dwell in the future, our orientation is almost universally stress or anxiety. That evolves into, of course, fear. So for most people, our habitual experience is either about being in pain or afraid. (laughs) Fun, huh? That's the first noble truth. Life is suffering. Okay? Now, to be real clear, um, and this is one of my favorite all-time, I'm going to mangle the saying, but I just love this this, uh, Chinese proverb that says, um, the birds of unhappiness will fly over your head. There's no reason to let them nest in your hair. (laughs) So shave your heads. (laughs) You knew that was coming. You knew that was coming. But this is basically a way of saying, be very aware of that seventh sense. Be very aware of your relationship to time. Be very aware of your energetic pull towards past or pull towards future. That which is aware of your pain is not your pain. That which is aware of your fear 
is not your fear. Fear is just an object. Pain is just an object. Judgment is just an object. That which is aware of these things is a much bigger subject than that little object. And that which is aware of these little objects that fall in line in what we would call the seventh sense, the sixth sense, the five bodily senses, that which is aware is our eighth sense. Our eighth sense is our witnessing awareness, our naked, raw being that never moves. It is simply there. It is covered up by all the other senses that want to get our mind or our our experience to believe in or be convinced that this particular object that is arising is fundamentally real and all that matters. Okay? That's the game that's played. The game that's played in our typical experience, as I mentioned, is this, we live on this, with this boundary. We're, we're hemmed in by this seventh sense and we don't move past it. Yet going past it, or, or excuse me, expanding past it, is the only thing you've always, always had. You've always been past it. That which is real in you has always already been past it. And what's at the core of that? What's at the core of that awareness? What's at the core of that awareness where everything arises? Everything arises within that awareness. And that awareness is you. Therefore, all things arise within you. You're infinite. You have no bound. And when we relax into that space, when the witness itself can be witnessed, we're in the ninth sense, which isn't a sense at all. It's emptiness. It is totally peaceful. It never moves. It lacks nothing. It wants nothing. It needs nothing. It doesn't push. It doesn't pull. It just is. It is being. It's you. It's so easy to chuck the practice right out the window when things become deeply challenging. In other words, when something arises in your experience, um, when circumstances really hit the fan and just kind of go all over the place, it's so easy to say, meditation, yes, screw that. Right now, what I really want to do is hit somebody or yell or start pounding beers or whatever, whatever, whatever our typical right turn is whenever stuff starts happening. The practice, of course, is to stay present even in the midst of hell. 
even as that fire burns intensely. And you're looking at somebody who, for the last few hours, <laughs> has been dealing with a really interesting situation. Um, my, uh, my wife today, I got, to, I got to be dad the entire day, okay? And whatever cockiness you may see in me gets just thrown out the window the minute it's like, okay, now daddy time beyond our number four, you know, when I've, when I've fed her all of her Cheerios and I've given her the water and her diaper has changed and she's still looking at me like, you know what, dude, you're not cutting it. It's very, very interesting for my practice. <laughs> now this may seem comparatively small, but uh, uh, Alicia today, my wife, uh, was on a rather intense uh, professional situation. She was in a, in a, in a job, job scenario that was demanding a tremendous amount of time, focus, and energy. So she was going to be gone from 5.30 a.m. until 7 p.m. sharp. And I leave at 7 p.m. sharp to come here. It was 7.15 and I hadn't heard from her. And this is not like my wife. Not like her at all. And so, what, at around 6, 6.30, you know, 6.45, I hadn't received a phone call. What at, uh, you know, 6.45 was kind of frustration. How could you do this to me? How could you do this to the Sangha? How could you do this to Cade, our baby girl? All these stories just started flying. And watching Ego on that stage was just hilarious as long as I could keep kind of pulling back. And it kept pulling me in. And I found myself in it. And then I was like, wait, watch, 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 watch. And I'd watch, and Ego literally was... You know, injustice, <laughs> betrayal. <laughs> All these things are just really, really playing themselves out. But I confess to you that as, as seasoned as I, uh, I, th I think that I may be, it, boy, what a challenge. What a challenge. What a challenge. So... Uh, I packed baby Kate up, who was frustrated. She was pissed off. I gave her the last of the pumped breast milk that was in the refrigerator before we came. She'd had about a million Cheerios today. <laughs> I mean, she was fed. She was fed. She, was, she had a clean diaper. Everything was like, I mean, I wasn't terribly incompetent, but I found myself so divided. So divided. Until I could breathe. And I was like, you know what? It's all right. This will take care of itself. Hopefully Alicia's okay. It went from being pissed to being afraid, and then it was like, I love her so much. God damn it. I wish you wouldn't do this to me, because it's just, ah, ah, ah. You know, that type of thing kept going on and on and on. And Cade was like just throwing a conniption. <laughs> Get her into the car. And I start driving, and I just kept, the, my little mantra that kept going on is, this is a sangha. We take care of each other. Someone will be here. 
to help me. And two angels um, said, well, we'll take her. And they, you know, I mean, they're Sangha members. So I trust, trust her with <laughs> I think I trust. <laughs> but seriously, Sheila and Barb just said, oh, no, this will be fun. And, uh, uh, of course, Sheila kiddingly said, uh, how many cylinders is your car? You know, it's like, yeah, don't, uh, you know. So they're, they're taking her home. Alicia calls at 7.20. Honey, I'm so sorry. My phone has been off. Um, interview went great, but I'm sorry. How do I get Cade? And I said, wait, how far away are you? She says, at least an hour and 10 minutes. And so I said, well, Barb and Sheila are going to take her home. And I told them that they could have anything in the house except our top shelf wine. That's <laughs> off limits. Um, but uh, nonetheless, it was just, it was kind of magical. It was magical in that um, it's so good, such a great reminder for teacher, you know, that I'm still a student. I will forever be a student of this work. You know, no matter how grounded life throws us curveballs, some of them you just whiff. You know, you cannot cannot always hit them out of the park, and that's not what the practice is about. The practice is not about hitting anything out of the park. It's about being the ball, the bat, the player, the pitcher, the field, the sky, the air at once. It's being in the middle of it and also able to observe it at once. It's freedom in the midst of prison all at once. It's seeing the one and the many all at once so that there is no separation. There is no dualistic or, or should we say no dualism. All one thing and many things. Not this, not that. In Advaita Vedanta Hinduism we say neti neti. Not this, not that. And resting in that space allows for us to surrender. Surrender to what is. Not remaining in opposition, but allowing. And in this small little disaster that I experienced, you know, in this small little miracle of uh, Sheila and Barb who said, yeah, we'll take her, you know, and this major miracle of a pretty good marriage and a pretty good kid and a pretty good sangha. All is right in the world. In this moment, at least. Mm-hmm.